Wow, what a dreary day outside and what an awesome day in here. Thank you. Thank you for the way you're worshiping today. Love us being together. This service is about to get even more exciting today. I want to call one of our shepherds up, Gary Henry. He's going to share with us some really awesome news. I want to thank all of our shepherds for sharing last Sunday. They did just a great job of challenging us and encouraging us. We're blessed to be led by these men. And today, we're going to celebrate with you guys have been doing. Invite the uh, elders up. Am I not on? Keep trying. All right. (laughs) Testing, testing. Got you now? All right. Thank you. Got you. Uh, I'd like to invite the elders that are here this morning to join me as well as uh, Brother Dick Thompson, if he would come up and join us here on stage. Buddy, I'm afraid I I started a controversy here in church. I guess I'm going to have to repent. See, last Sunday I said I wasn't you, but I was better looking. Uh, He's got got hair, I don't, so we we can settle it that way. (laughs) Before I get started... uh, uh, I just want to acknowledge and, and say thank you for the way you responded to the uh, call for funds for the relief, uh, disaster relief. And uh, the people that we gave the money to are very, very thankful. Our disaster team is continuing to work and help those that are uh, in need of helping clean up and rebuild. So, so thank you very much. In the 50-year history of Landmark, a mortgage has been maintained through the years for varying, various, varying amounts. It started when we purchased the building on Atlanta Highway and then later moving here and building this uh, beautiful worship center. And most recently, in the early 2000s, we, the construction uh, was completed on the Life Center. All of these uh, buildings were financed. I'm thankful for the leadership of the elders over the years for not only the vision to increase our campus, but also the diligence in which they they did to repay the money. Brother Dick Thompson is here on stage and served uh, as elder and uh, shepherd over the finances and did just a beautiful job. His determination and desire to pay the loan back quickly is very much appreciated. Thank you, Dick. We are so thankful for the way God has blessed this church and for the love, support, and generous giving that you've given this church. Today, I'm thrilled to tell you that the loan has been paid off. We are debt-free. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts, buddy. Okay. Let's, um, let's do it right. Yeah, let's okay? do it a little better we did we in first service. We struggled with this in first service, but we do have a copy of our mortgage for second service. If you guys would step forward and uh, let's burn this baby, all right? 
this time. <laughs> yeah, let's get it right this time. We've managed to do it before. Yes, come on, Junior. Could I say something briefly about this? You know, in uh, 2000, early 2000, uh, of course, we had built the, this, this sanctuary, this whole building here. And then early 2000, we uh, bought the Life Center, you know. It was all done, uh, you know, on faith. Faith in not what we could do, but what God can do through us. And we, you know, I signed at that time my signature to a mortgage of over $2 million. And a few, that, that's rather, uh, you know, I wasn't worried at all because I knew that if we were going to do God's will, we we're going to be a church that he wanted us to be. It, would, it wouldn't be to my detriment at all, but it would be to his glory. And that's what this is about is the glory of God. Absolutely. Amen. harder than paying off the mortgage, I think. <laughs> Amen. What an awesome, awesome moment, and our, our shepherds have been so diligent of not just making monthly payments, but paying beyond that, and um, you know, they kept this a secret from me till this week, you know? I think they didn't think I could keep the secret, number one, and number two, they thought I'd go ahead and spend the new money, which I'd love to, all right? Guys, um, this opens the door for us to do so much more ministry than just paying off a mortgage, so thank God for that. We do begin a new message series this morning that's sort of audaciously called God. I mean, how do you get your head around that? How do we wrap our hands around who God is? How do you do that in seven or eight weeks? Well, the good news is the Bible gives us a lot of help. And in fact, we're going to be zeroing in on a passage this morning, which is the most quoted passage in the Bible. By the Bible, right? I mean, John 3.16, obviously for us. But the passage we'll look at today is the most quoted verse in the Bible, and it describes who God is. It is God's description of himself. And so God's going to give us some help in understanding who he is. Now, this is such an important message. And there was a great theologian a couple of decades ago who put it best when he said, image is everything, all right? Show us this next slide, please. There we go, thank you. Anybody remember Andre Agassi? Are you old enough to remember Andre Agassi? Well, this was one of the most successful um, advertising campaigns in history uh, for the Canon Rebel. They actually had cameras back then. And um, Agassi was quite a rebel. I mean, you were only supposed to wear white at Wimbledon, and he would dress like this. 
And so they enveloped him in this. And if you read his autobiography called Open, he'll say this became the theme of his life. He didn't want it to be. But that's what everybody knew him for, just this outward image. But it makes a point that we need to make today. Augustine said he could never shake that image. And this morning, as we look at God, I don't want you to shake this idea that image is everything. Because in fact, look at your first blanks on your message outline today. Here's the importance of the study we're about to do. Your image of God will determine your reaction to God. Because if you got the wrong image to God, you'll probably react wrong to him. If you got the right image, you'll react in a really good way. A a real theologian, A.W. Tozer, said it this way. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How in the world could that be true? Because Tozer says, if I know your image of God, I can predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man or that woman. You can predict what's going to happen by that image. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your image of God? When you think of God, what comes to your mind? Let me just show you some of the ones I hear from us. One of the most popular is the, you got that, the state trooper with his radar gun around the bend in some speed trap in South Alabama trying to catch you when you're going to the beach. Anybody ever felt like God was that way? I mean, he's just, raise your hand if you ever felt that way. That God is looking to see you make a mistake. Now, some other views of God and images of God, go ahead and show the next one. On the other extreme, some of us look at God as Santa Claus. Oh, we know he claims that he's making a list and checking it twice, but everybody always gets a gift. It doesn't really matter what you do. Another image of God often is of a distant father. You know, I mean, he's just far off from me and doesn't want to be close to me. Or a more modern illustration might be, he's a life coach. Or he might just be to you, your escape parachute. Now, I want to go back. If you go back to that first image of the state trooper, let's talk about these. For what kind of reaction do you have if you look at God this way? Oh, my God, I'm in fear of God. I mean, every moment I'm thinking, I'm going to slip up and I'm gone. Or if it's Santa Claus, I'm thinking, I don't have to take this guy seriously at all. Keep on clicking if you would. If it's um, Santa Claus, I don't have to take him very seriously. If he's a distant father, no matter what I do, I can never be close to him. I mean, he's God, my goodness, and I'm down here. Or if he's a life coach, I think, well, you know, he could give me a few tips about how to run my life or improve my marriage or improve my finances. Or for many of us, he's just that escape parachute that, you know, when I get in trouble, that's the only time I call on him. You see, all of these images of God would lead to reaction that really wouldn't help us. And if we're going to be honest right here at the beginning of this series, too often I want to create God to be like I want him to be. Here's an old saying, God created man in his own image. And man, being a gentleman, returned the favor. So we, we make God in our image. If I'm passionate about this, God better be passionate. If I don't like these people, God doesn't like these people. If I'm a Democrat, God's a Democrat. If he's a Republican, he's a Republican. I'll remake God in my image. How do you know if you're doing that? How do you know? If God agrees with you about everything. You ever, you ever think, if he agrees, 
then that's the way you're looking at him. Uh, I've heard people say all my life, I've probably said it myself, I can be honest, I could not believe in a God who Rolling Stones magazine has a celebrity saying he couldn't believe in a God who would limit sex to one man and one woman for life. Now, this begs the question, if that's all true, who is God? Am I God or is God God? Am I willing to recognize him as being sovereign and over my life? Now, here's the good news. Though we all struggle with all these different images that come from our childhood, God has revealed himself. Uh, The word theology means simply the study of God. And so when we get to Scripture, God has revealed himself in Scripture. And when we get to the point we're going to get to this morning, we're going to see where God says, if you really want to know who I am, what my name is, what I'm like, I'm going to tell you. So open your Bible to Exodus chapter 33. Because nobody in Scripture struggled with this more than Moses. And, And nobody had a more open relationship than Moses. Look at Exodus 33, verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Is that cool or what? Moses had a friendship relationship with God where he would speak to him face to face. Now, when we get here to Exodus 33, Moses a little bit shook up because of the building of the golden calf while he was getting the Ten Commandments the first time. And he wants to make sure God's not abandoning ship. So look at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. He wants to make sure God's going. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. In other words, Moses is saying, I know you know me, but I'm not so sure how clearly I know you. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. I'm I'm sticking with you, despite what these people have done. I don't think Moses is still real convinced. So he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? Because what else would distinguish me and your people from all the other people in the face of the earth? What made them different is that they had the real almighty God. And the Lord reassured him. He said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses drops the hammer. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. God, if I'm going to lead this group of people, I need to know you're with me, and I need to know what you are like. The word glory simply means weighty. What's Moses saying? God, I want to see the full weight of your experience. And then the Lord said to him, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. He begins to tell him that, Moses, tomorrow you meet me on the mountain. I'm going to pass in front of you. You're not going to be able to see my face. You're not wired to handle that. You don't, the, the circuitry would break. You're not wired to see that, but I'm going to go in front of you, and you're going to see my back. Look at verse 21. The Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory, my weightiness passes by, 
I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So Moses goes, as the old song says, into the cleft of the rock the next day. And God passes by. And when the Lord is passing by Moses, he gives us this description of himself. Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to thousands of generations. I forgive iniquity, iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations. We'll get to that over the next few weeks, what that really, really means. Now, what I told you earlier is what I've just read to you is the most quoted passage in the Bible. Moses talks about it, David, Jeremiah, it even shows up in the book of Jonah. It's one of the few places where God says, okay, you want to know what I'm really like? This is what I'm like. This is like God's press release to the world. This is ground zero for theology. So we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that God has a name. Now, For us, names don't mean as much as they do in the Bible. For us, we pick names by sort of how they sound, how the consonants and vowels go together. But in the Bible, a name was a description. It was almost like your biography. This is what you're about. Like we look at Abraham. He's first called Abram, which means exalted father. But when God wants to change his mission... He changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. That's what his life was about. We meet this rascal named Jacob, who's always deceiving people. And and his name meant hill grabber. And one day he grabs hold of God in a wrestling match, or we'd say in Alabama, a wrestling match. He grabs hold of God and says, God, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And and, and God blesses him, and now he changes his name from Jacob to Israel, which means the man who wrestled with God. So when we get to this name, it's really important. And most of our English translations blow it. They don't even put it there. That's why I quoted from New Living Translation this morning. Because here is the name the Bible gives of God. Now, that's sort of confusing. Now, what you've got to understand is, in Scripture, they didn't put vowels. <laughs> Why would they not put the vowels? If you're writing everything and chipping it on stone, would you like to find some shortcuts? <laughs> and this was their shortcut. And so the vowels are missing. Now, uh, look at this just for a second. Let, let, let's see if we could do, let me show you a Sentence, what, what is that sentence saying? I've removed all the vowels. Who's the first that can guess it? Okay, I think somebody said it. You guys, are y'all okay today? <laughs> now this, this weather, this is a sentence. All the vowels have been removed. And that's why we struggle with this name of Yahweh. Now, when we put the vowels in, here's the way it looks. And most English translations make a big mistake here because they call it, They just put the word Lord. 
It like in English translation, if you read it back in IV, it's going to say, Lord, Lord. Well, because Lord is not a name. It's a description of a function. It, it, it's like if, if you came up to me and I introduced you to Stephanie and I said, this is the wife. <laughs> okay. You like that? This is the, <laughs> she doesn't. This is the wife. All right. I've not given her name. I've given you her function, okay? And guys, when it comes to this, Yahweh's the name. Now, we struggle with this. We don't even know how to properly pronounce it because the Jewish people looked at this name as so sacred, and they did not want to use the Lord's name in vain. They stopped even saying it. But to, um, to Moses, this was a big deal. Because the name reveals who God is. Let's look a little bit deeper at this. First time Moses encounters this is when God calls him in the burning bush. Back in Exodus chapter 3. Look at what it says. Because Moses isn't too sure about this calling. And one thing you got to notice about Moses, guys, is he, liked, he argues with God. Look at this verse. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? They don't just want to know who you're the daddy of. They want to know who you are. What is his name? Then what should I tell them? Give me more than you're just the God of Abraham. I need more. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Thank you very much. That really was helpful, wasn't it? I am who I am. Yes, it really is a powerful statement. It, it, it's a statement that simply means God is always the same. And it also implies the eternal nature of God. He's always been, and if God's compassionate, he's always compassionate. If he's just, he's always just. If he's loving, his character never changes. And, and so, God says, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Here we go. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Now, there's the word Yahweh. Now, here's what I got you to see real quickly. I am and Yahweh come from the same root Hebrew word. Yahweh implies the same thing. What does it say about God and who he is? He's always existed. And his character is something you can build your life on because it does not change. Now, that makes some sense, guys, of some things we see in the New Testament. Because in the Old Testament, Moses bugs him until he just sort of lays it all out there. And then in the New Testament, we get to Jesus, and Jesus takes it a step further. Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen God. I mean, look at a couple passages here that tie this together. Uh, look at John eight fifty eight. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Oh, he pulled the same thing. I am. Now, if you read this, the Jewish leaders go berserk. Because they know for Jesus to say, I am the great I am, he's implying that he's God. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Talking about images of God. You ever been, you know, on your phone or a camera, and at first the image is fuzzy, and then it becomes clearer and clearer? That's what happens to the Bible. 
as God reveals himself. And finally, it bursts into complete clarity when Jesus comes on the scene. Listen to this passage from John 1. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, he's made him known. Guys, here's the good news today. You can know God. And as some translations say, Jesus came to explain God. If you're walking down the street in the first century and Jesus is on the other side of the street, you can tap your friend and say, that is God. And that's why Jesus can say at the end of his ministry, John chapter 17, I've made your name known to those who you gave me from this world. What do you say? I'm fleshing out the meaning of this name. Okay. Let's close out with this. So what, buddy? That's a, that's a lot of information. Why is this a big deal? Why we can spend the next couple months looking at this description of God. Number one, God has revealed himself to us. Listen, sometimes for us, God seems so distant. Maybe we think there's no way I could understand or comprehend God. It's just, it's just too big. God said, no, no, no. I want you to know me. You don't have to have guesswork, guys, about how God is. He's gone to great lengths through his word and especially through his son to say, I want you to have perfect clarity about who I am. And so as we go through this study, every one of these descriptions back in Exodus 34, we're going to also look at an example from Jesus that shows that. Now, number two, God is a person. Now, I'm not saying God's a male or female. He's not. But what I am saying is this tells us that God is not just a higher power, okay? He's not just some inspired energy force. Listen, my friends, God has personality. God has feelings. God can be known. Now, number three, so encouraging. God desires a relationship with us. He really wants you to walk with him. That's why when Moses says, okay, God, I'm tired of fooling around with this. Just give me the whole deal. Show me his glory. God does it. And Moses is crazy because you don't see this language much in the Old Testament. God is a friend with Moses. They're friendship. And guys, when Jesus came, he didn't just call people to be obedient he said, I've come to call you my friends. Listen, if you don't understand anything else from today's lesson, God wants a friendship with you. Now, here's what blows my mind as I study this. Number four, God is interactive with us. Do, do you see these discussions? Though God's character is unchanging, his ways are not always static. Moses is able, Scripture will say, two or three times to change God's mind. My favorite is um, back in Genesis chapter 32, or Exodus chapter 32, where um, God's called his people. They come out of Egypt, and they're wanting to go back to Egypt. They, they, they don't even remember what God, God said or what, what God's done for them. They, they forget it. And, and God finally comes to his friend Moses and says, Moses, uh, I don't know about you, but I've had enough of these people. Oh, let's do this, Moses. I, I, you're my man. But I would prefer, you know, I mean, the, the description says his anger is slow. 
It's come to a boiling point now. And God says, Moses, I'd like just to destroy them all. And you and me will start all over. And Moses says, oh, God, do not do this. These people are called by your name. And basically, Moses says to to God, if you destroy them, all the other nations around us are going to trash talk you. And you know what the Bible says? God relented. Some translations say, God repented. Most translations say, God changed his mind. We see this in Jesus. Listen, guys. Jesus makes it really clear his plan is not for his first miracle to be turning water into wine. Man, I would agree with Jesus on that, man. Because now we've got to debate wine the rest of our lives, right? You ever been in church on that? But guess what? Mary, his mother, changes Jesus' mind. And he does it for her. He said, buddy, what are you trying to tell me? I'm trying to say this is not some fake relationship. It's honest. It's raw. Everything is not set in place. It's not all in stone. God can be moved. God responds. God actually listens. Let me say this very clearly. If what I'm telling you today is not true, then why in the world do you pray? There's one teacher who says, God has already determined the movement of everything in the universe to the smallest molecule. Because I believe in the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. In the long run, God's will will be done. Every knee will one day bow to God. But in between now and here, then, we're in a real, not fake, relationship with God where God actually enjoys some give and take with us and our prayers can actually change things. Something that was going to happen may not happen because you pray about it. Something that was not going to happen may happen because you prayed. Prayer's not a shame. It's not a sham. So here's here's the great news, guys. God has invited you into this relationship where he wants to walk with you and talk with you, and you join him, not as an equal partner, but as a partner to do his will on this earth. That's why we're here. So, guys, if you believe these four things I've said, like Tozer said, I can tell you what your life's going to be like. Because you're going to choose to walk with him. And listen, Like we said at the very beginning, image is everything. Because if if you've got one of those false images of God, and many of us in our childhood, even our religious upbringing, we still got some old tapes about how God treats people and how distant Scott is and how he is that state trooper. I mean, a young college student named Delphine came forward in first service. I just got to read you her card. It, 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 It just... It, it just uh, made, made my day awesome. She said, I'm blessed to be at a church that has changed the way I see and talk to God. I was bound in religion, and I did see God as a state trooper who couldn't wait to give me a ticket. I'm so grateful that I can talk to him like a friend. He is the best friend who never fails. 
That's what God wants with you. So we're about to sing, and if, if you're like Delphine, you want to celebrate that. Or if you're like Delphine once was, where you, you come in here and you're struggling with this image of God. It, it's hard for you to believe that God, knowing all the bad things about you, that he would actually want a friendship with you. And if today we could pray for you, or if like our friend heaven, today's the day you go, man, this God is unbelievable. i got to follow him. I want to follow Jesus all the way into the waters of baptism. Then today's your day. Because we believe what's going to happen in a few minutes. Listen closely. Say we one more moment. We're about to talk to God. And what we believe is it makes a difference. That's why James says this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And if you need the prayers of this whole body, meet me here on this front row and come to the one that you can build your life on whose character never changes, the great I am. Please come right now as we stand and sing.